The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm almost brought to tears by this opportunity to sing congregationally. It's the first. The first in at least a couple years, year and a half for sure. And it gives to me a new sense of what communion actually means. That in the sharing of oxygen in this room, which has been so dangerous for us, we join once again in trust that the oxygen that we breathe together is life-giving and whole and complete. What a tremendous gift already this morning. It is enough. It is enough. So here we are again in the season of hope that begins the cycle of God's grace and love for another year, Advent. And it's an interesting irony that the lectionary opens and then closes each year with the apocalypse of that year's gospel. What apocalyptic secrets must we attend to at the turning of the year? What secrets that the lectionary would offer us these gifts? What curiosity that we have not already known might embolden our return to the manger of Christ, as if this year, will we get it right or better yet, what is so precious that makes Advent's turning so desired and so necessary? Can you imagine a year without the Advent candles, even if they are trick candles? <laughs> Was good. What a sacrilege. What a sacrilege. Or a year without the Advent calendar preposterous, especially if it involves chocolate. And a year without these lovely Advent hymns, we would be bereft. So here we are again, but this year with the words of Luke's apocalypse. There are signs in the cosmos among the sun, the moon, the stars. There is distress among the nations like the roaring of sea and surf. Humanity faints and swoons from fear. And there's shaking in the heavens. All these are words of apocalypse describing crisis and chaos that we can only guess. But what else would you call it when we open and close a year with such words but chronic apocalypse? And perhaps it feels quite familiar, accustomed to it as we are in these years of disease and dis-ease. Will we ever not live in crisis again? Will there never be the ease of a handshake or a hug without an attendant concern for infection or germ? Without a second guest floating between the eyes of meeting friends? 
Has our intentionality been impaired? Are human agency compromised? Will we recover inner intention without external words of direction from public health or government? And so here we are again, with a moment to consider our path, our intentions for this coming year, and to set direction for grace. Every spring, I chart a course to sail from Port Dalhousie to Bronte Harbor. It's 315 degrees north. Two springs ago, Erin, our daughter, and I set out on what looked like a bright day with a good sou'wester. We did two-thirds of the voyage, and within five miles of Bronte, the wind had stiffened, the swells had stacked, and the sky turned gray. Usually, a sou'wester is a kind wind for that crossing. That day, it was chaos. We came into Bronte on 270 degrees instead of 315. We got blown off course by 45. Advent tells the tale of how we set our sails, how we adjust our trim to match the intentions of our headings despite the chaos, the fears, the anxieties of the day. The Advent apocalypse has often been seen as a time for being snatched from one world to another, from chaos to security, chasing our dreams and hopes. In the words of Willie Dwayne Francois III, what if Jesus is snatching us out of our desire for another world? What if snatched out of our desire for another world, our desire for this world can be renewed by the grace, the peace, the justice of Jesus Christ in God's love? So let's turn to Luke's apocalypse and its encouragement for such renewal of heart and mind. And we start with the preamble in Luke's apocalypse. It's a storm between the competing intentions of donors to the temple treasury. Rich people with their magnificent gifts and the poor widow with her two small copper coins. We know the story well. The intentionality, the battle of intentionality is seen in the word gifts and in how the gifts are given. First, these are gifts or offerings that are made as the result of a vow. Think of Zacchaeus' promises. You'll understand what that means. They are high in intentionality. Think of the bargains that would have been made by God for the treasury to be filled by these gifts. And then how they are given. Well, they are thrown into the treasury. There is no surreptitious slipping in of the offering envelope. I remember Ron Matthews' stories of church folk dancing to the offering plates, throwing in their gifts with abandon. The ritual is <clears throat> certain. 
It's well-directed, full of the public show of purpose. It is the same act for the widow as for the rich. However, Jesus is quite clear in his regard, his high regard for the widow and her celebratory abandonment of her livelihood. Well, as long as you understand his use of percentages. It's a mathematics of grace. And then, as if in commenting on the gifts themselves, in response to the admirers of the temple, Jesus declares that it will all come to ruin, not a stone upon a stone. As if to say, see, See the chagrin of God. See what your gifts, your vows come to. A pile of rubble. In the end, it is the heroic intention of the widow that Jesus celebrates. In her freedom is life. Luke goes on to describe personal crises in verses 12 through 19, regional and political crises, verses 20 through 24, and then launches into the cosmological crisis, verses 25 through 28, that we read this morning. Each is full of the same conflict as Jesus saw in the temple stones. Community dissolved by divorced, conflicted intentions. And the cosmological crisis delivers the final effect of all this calamity. The nations are distressed and confused. That's verse 25. As if trapped and held in a paralysis of poverty with no sense of direction. And further, humanity faints in a swoon of fear Will the emperor, empire not save us? That's verse 26. When then and from whence cometh their salvation? I guess they forgot Psalm 25 and the promise of Jeremiah 33. Finally, the cosmos comes to realize its own impoverished widowhood. And then it is ready to learn from the widow at the temple treasury. Jesus, in teaching the widow's ethic and spirit, draws an analogy from the fig tree, verse 29 through 33, and makes the analogy explicit in an exhortation, verses 34 through 36. With the fig tree, Jesus is doing a kind of Ecclesiastes 3 thing. For everything, there's a season. The apocalypse, it's got a season. Hmm. For me, the parallel is a drive down the QEW into Niagara just before the peach trees blossom. Once again, winter's worst has been done in by the tender peach. What an irony. And the pink blush proves it. Behold how nature holds its intentions true to the purposes of life despite the chaotic bluster of winter. Maybe because of it. With his explicit encouragement, Jesus switches metaphors to athletic strength training. 
to live the redeemed life, to have the widow's joyous freedom in throwing it all into the treasury, we lay aside the burden of carousing and worry. What an interesting letting go of some weights. And we let those weights go in favor of the worthy weight of prayerful freedom. This is not far off from addiction's research. How often we compromise our best intentions by false attachments. Jesus teaches that we survive our chronic apocalyptic worries only as a disciple of the widow at the treasury. With her we find life abandoning false securities, intending good for others, celebrating joyous freedom. According to Jesus, this is no trivial work. It is accomplished only through prayerful discernment time and reflection that opens the soul of God's, to God's redeeming grace and work of love. And this, whether our times of crisis be usual and normal or unprecedented. So what do we take into Advent 2021? There's a saying that comes out of World War I. There are no atheists in foxholes. I like Jeffrey Frankel's adaptation of it to the economic failures of 2008. There are also no libertarians in crises. But what if our daily abode is a foxhole and our life is a constant crisis? Like I assume it was for the widow, like it has been in some measure for these last two years. Well, that gives me some empathy for the widow at the treasury and even more, maybe some curiosity. I marvel that she could energetically throw her livelihood into the treasury. That's the gift of the gospel this morning. The opening that Advent provides this year to deliver our livelihoods for the good of others. It's the invitation to learn and live the widow's foxhole spirituality, perhaps daily. There is nothing that drives me to prayer like a crisis in the life of our children. Even adult as they are, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. And I expect I'm not unique in this. The widow's foxhole spirituality applies that urgency, that intent, that passion to the daily good of all. That whatever security and safety we enjoy becomes, become our aspiration for all. This requires a strength that is divine, a spirit born of God's love, a soul configured by the community of grace. We sing this spirituality in our Advent hymns. Oh, how shall I receive thee, blessed hope of every nation, my soul's delight and stay. Love caused thine incarnation. May love be my incarnation's cause. Coming the angel Gabriel, 
Then Mary questioned him and said, Yet by the Spirit's power I will serve faithfully. Or, O come, O come, Emmanuel, bind all peoples in one heart and mind, that quarrels cease in a world filled with heaven's peace. See, we sing the widow's foxhole spirituality. We know it and we have lived it. And it is Advent's encouragement that prepares us for yet another year of grace. May this Advent season find us all with present peace, restored intentions, and a fulsome heart for all. In the grace of Jesus Christ, amen.